You can open your Bibles to the fourth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. We're going to look just briefly because we're on the banks of the Jordan River, but we've been here 40 years before, and I'm talking about the children of Israel. They were here 40 years before, and we need to know, all of us need to recognize, there's places that God wants to bring you. There's things that He wants to do in your life, but if you're not prepared and we're not prepared, we're going to miss out on the blessings that He has and that He as a good Father wants to give us because we're not prepared for those blessings. And if we're not prepared for those blessings, they can be become very big difficulties in our life and we miss out. So we must be reminded of that. And just mentioned too this week that I was in the meeting with Lester and we had just come from Sunday morning here and I wanted to just express my gratitude and my thankfulness for you letting me be your pastor and the relationships that we are developing and will continue to develop. And um, I just thank you for your love and care. And I hope that you experience and get to uh, um, know my love and care for you and my appreciation. And I certainly don't want to take anything or anyone for granted. Father, thank you for um, your word. I pray that you help us, God, as we look into your word this morning. Help us to get what you have for us. Help us to have some understanding, some learning to grow. And help us to apply it to our own lives and to see, God, the serious applicability of the Bible stories. They've happened in the past, God, but if we don't recognize and learn from the past we repeat the same mistakes over and over and there's no need to do that we can learn but we can't learn without your help god because of our arrogance and our ignorance and um, just help us to learn this morning and do for in our lives what brings glory and honor to you in jesus precious name amen so i would hope that you would open your bible to numbers chapter 13 and that you would be able to follow along because we're just going to look briefly. We've been having, each time I come to a new section of Joshua, I have to kind of be reminded of the context of where they're coming from. These people didn't just come out of nowhere. These are the people that that have been brought out of Egypt, 400 years of slavery. Same people that uh, started when Abraham was called up out of the Ur of the Chaldees, and he, God said to him, leave your country, leave your people, leave your family, and go to the place where I tell you. So this life is a journey. And now these people are on a place where they were 40 years earlier. So um, just to rehash um, Numbers 13 and 14, and I've only p- picked out selected verses that I'm going to have time to read Because my goal, as I told you, I don't want to get bogged down in Joshua. So I'm trying to move forward, but I don't want to do it uh, without laying some groundwork. So when they came up out of Egypt, they came to the Red Sea. And when they got to the Red Sea, God said, send some people in to spy out the land. No, I'm sorry. They crossed the Red Sea and they they were right to the edge of the Jordan. And they sent 12 spies into the land. And that's where we're picking up the story. 40 years prior to Joshua chapter 3 and 4. Okay, so if you look with me in uh, Numbers chapter 13, 
the spies came back out of exploring the land. This is the first time in, in Numbers 13, verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert. They reported to them and the whole assembly showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us. Same land that Joshua is now taking the people into. And it does flow with milk and honey. Here's some of its fruit. And they brought back grapes that they had to carry on a pole between two of them because it was so heavy. And he said, the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live along the sea, along the Jordan, near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses. We should go up and take possession of the land, for we certainly can do it. But the men who had gone up with them said, We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread a bad report about the land they had explored. So they had to basically lie to the people to spread a bad report, because it's good, glorious, rich land. And yes, those seven nations are there, but... God had already told them that he would drive out the people. So we come to chapter 14. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to the land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So this is what this grumbling mob is doing, that God just brought them out of slavery across the Red Sea, and now they're at the edge of the Promised Land, and all they can see is the negative. And so the challenge is to us, whatever situation we're in, to continue to look, what are God's promises? What is God doing in this situation? And they rebel, and they turn the whole people sour. So I'm going to pick up the story again in verse 26, chapter 14, Numbers 14, 26. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I've heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do to you the very things you say. In this desert your bodies will fall, every one of you, 20 years old or more, who counted in the census, and who grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Japuna, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected, but your bodies will fall in the desert. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of the bodies in the desert. Until the last of your bodies lies in the desert. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. I mean, very serious. So now, let's go. You can, you're going to have to force yourself out of that story and turn with me to Joshua chapter 3. Because you can go back and read that later if you haven't read that before. Because we should know the history of the Jewish people to help us understand what God's doing or what we're trying to learn. 
So we're going to go through Joshua, my goal, and uh, I will do my best to go through Joshua chapter 3 and Joshua chapter 4. And if you would pay attention, you do your best to pay attention, I'll do my best to keep your attention, and we'll get through this. There's so much amazing information here. So one thing, let me just tell you quick about the Jordan River. The Jordan River starts about 130 miles north of where they're going to cross. Depending on where you look for the information, the Jordan River is either 156 miles long and, uh, or it's, it's 126 miles long straight shot, but it doesn't go straight shot. It meanders. So then the meandering, some people have said, as long as 220 miles. Okay, so it's not a huge river, but it's a significant river because it starts at the foot of Mount Hermon and it's fueled by three rivers, the Dan River, the Hasbani River, and the Barius River. At that point, it's 1,500 feet above sea level and it drops through the Rift Valley and it ends up 1,410 feet below sea level when it drops into the Red Sea. So it's quite a drop over those 150 miles. Most of the year, it's between 3 and 10 feet deep and between 50 and 100 feet wide. Now, it's changed significantly now, today, if you go there. I've been there. In some places, it's very small, but it's been drained off to siphon the fields around there. And as you go out of, uh, out from, down from Mount Hermon, you come to a place that was called the Valley. Let me look up the name again because I'm forgetting it. The Valley of Hula is 16 miles south of where the Jordan River begins. And that was like a massive swamp. But in 1948, when Israel took over and became a nation, they began to drain that. And that became a fertile valley now where it's lush. And they have uh, taken the malaria out of there and cleaned up the water. And it's a great place. But that's far from far north of where they um, crossed. And then the Jordan comes along into the Sea of Galilee. And then it drops down, like I said, 1,410 feet below sea level when it drops into the Dead Sea. And by that time, nothing can live in the water there except some special forms of coral. It's 30% salt. And um, the Dead Sea is dead because it's the lowest place on earth. Things run in there. Nothing runs out. And so when we're talking about uh, the Jordan River, that's the river we're talking about. But it tells us in our story that at that time when they were going to cross, it's the harvest season. And in the harvest season, during the whole entire harvest season, the Jordan River runs at flood stage. And back in that day, they were not draining off the um, water to feed all the farms that they have now. And it would be between um, anywhere from 50 feet to 200 feet wide. And it swelled the banks and so if it was 10 feet running without the banks being swelled it could be very very deep and turbulent waters so when they come to the edge of it it is not like the stream it is today okay so let's start in chapter 3 we're going to read through learn some things early in the morning Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing so he's up early in the morning. They get moving and they're camped right at the Jordan before crossing. So after three days, the officer went through the camp, giving orders to the people. 
when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you've never been this way before. That just grips me. I've been, ta- I've been thinking about my own life and thinking about your life too. And when he says, because you haven't been this way before, we're pretty good at thinking we know where we're going, what we're doing. And I bet if you think that way, you're probably bored and you're missing most of life. You haven't been this way before. You haven't been, however, you, however old you are, uh, I know you're 15, right? Okay, you're going to be 15. But you haven't been 15. You haven't been 16. You haven't been 17. You haven't been that way before. Look forward to it with great expectation, reverence, and fear in the sense of being respectful. And there'll never be a day that you could be bored because you ain't been there yet. And so they're standing on the banks and they got three days to realize we're going into the land that we've been waiting to enter in for hundreds of years. And we saw all of the last generation, everyone from 20 years old up, died in the desert because of our disobedience. We've got another three days to think about this before we cross this river, before everything changes. Because if the river is swelled at flood stage, once you cross the river and it closes back up, guess what? There's no retreat. So you don't go back from the decisions you make. There's forgiveness. There's new life. But we need to take life seriously as it faces us, as it comes to us. And so after three days, the officers went through and they're giving the orders about the ark. Now this is amazing too. Now the ark is kept... You can read about the ark and how important it was. It was a, a gold box. It wasn't gold first. It was made out of acacia wood. And it was a certain dimensions. You can read about it in Exodus. You can read about it in Leviticus. And it was a, a gold box covered inside and out with gold, acacia wood. And they had rings on it and poles that they put through it so no one would touch it. And it was kept in the Holy of Holies. Only once a year did the high priest go in there on the Day of Atonement to sprinkle blood on the, on the mercy seat that was between the two angels that were on each end of the ark with their wings facing each other. And right between was the mercy seat. And God said, that's where I will meet with you. That's where I, where I will have fellowship with you. So it was a physical box And inside the box was Aaron's rod that budded, the tablets written by the hand of God, the Ten Commandments, and a jar of manna. And so only once a year on the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16, you can read about it, the high priest went into the Holy of Holies. And he himself had a rope tied around his leg as Jewish, it doesn't say that in the Bible, it says in Jewish tradition that they tied a rope around his ankle Because if he did something presumptuous, out of order, ungodly, while he's in the holy of holy places, the bells on his garments would stop ringing and they would know that he fell dead before the Lord and they would be able to pull him back out. So you don't, and so the ark that's going to go before them, it's a representation of the presence of God. And 99% of these people, haven't laid eyes on this ark. 
It doesn't tell us right now that, because when they moved through the book of Numbers, when the, the ark was covered, they covered it up. Because to look on it would probably cost you your life. Even as we find out in the future that you, when Uzziah reached up to touch the ark to stable it, he fell dead instantly. And so the ark is significant. And the ark is representing the presence of God going before the people. Think about that. You haven't been to your future yet. But God is there. God is there. He goes before you. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That's somewhere like Psalm 139. Right? That God knows us. He knows the words we're going to speak. He knows the future. We don't. So we can trust Him as He leads us as we follow Him. Verse 4, Then you will know which way to go, because we're supposed to follow the ark, follow God's presence. Since you've never been this way before, but keep a distance about a thousand yards between you and the ark, and don't go near it. Okay, so the ark was inside the tabernacle, past the holy place, into the most holy place. And only once a year was the priest to go through there. Now imagine, get the picture. The ark is to, the priests are supposed to carry the ark to the center of the river. And when they get to the edge of the river and they step into the water, the water is going to be heaped up. And all the people will walk by those priests. And it must have just been an awesome sense of the presence of God. The ark, who they know that only the high priest, only once a year, enters into that. That's the mercy seat where God meets with Moses and the high priest to give them the instructions. And it symbolizes the presence and the power, the authority, the righteousness, the holiness of God. And they're going to be passing by. But they're to follow it at, it says there, about a thousand yards between you and the ark. It just reminds me, you know, in all the, even in some of the songs that we sing, that I am a friend of God, the scripture does teach us that God is our friend. But remember that he's not your chum. Okay? He, he wants us to come to Him. He wants us to, in a sense, come to Him with reverence and fear and respect. And He's the only place to go for salvation. The only place to go for all the things that we carry. But He's not a chum. He's not somebody to take for granted, to take lightly, and to even disrespect or be presumptuous about in any way, shape, or form. Keep your distance. Verse 5, Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And I have to stop again just with this word consecration. The word, the word basically means set yourself apart. Sanctify yourself. And the instruction is to them as individuals. Listen, the Lord's going to do something mighty in your presence. Be prepared. Get yourself ready. Before this use of this word, the word is used 27 times in Exodus, Leviticus, and twice in Numbers. 
Mount Sinai, I can only give you a couple examples to remind you. Exodus 19, Mount Sinai, you don't need to turn there. But the people, they were supposed to stay back. Do not come up to the mountain of God, lest you be destroyed. It said, and then it says in verse 22 of 19, even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. In Leviticus, several times, it says, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I, the Lord, am your God. Keep my decrees and follow them. I am the Lord who makes you holy. So the idea of consecrate means to make or declare to be sacred by certain ceremonies. And maybe you get bogged down when you're reading Leviticus or the end of uh, the last 20 verses of Deuteronomy as they're describing the temple and tabernacle. But if you look at it in in reverence and awe of the God who's inviting us to approach Him and stay alive. He wants us to approach Him and yet stay alive. And so we don't just... What's the word? Starts with an S. Saunter up into his presence. Like, oh, you know, no big deal. Gonna go and meet with God. We would do right to crawl on our hands with our nose touching the ground and say, I'm going to meet with God. But he he tells them, Consecrate yourselves and get ready, because tomorrow God's gonna do something great in your midst. And it means to set apart to dedicate or devote to the service and worship of God. Prepare yourself to see God work. It says that in, in the New Testament, the pure in heart will see God. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be satisfied. Seek first the kingdom. Ask and it will be given to you. Knock and the door will be open. Seek and you will find. It's this idea. Joshua is trying to tell him, listen, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And then going on in Leviticus 20.26, it says, you are to be holy to me because I the Lord am holy and I have set you apart from the nations. So followers of God should be set apart in what they think, the way they act, their behavior, their respect for life. And God's trying to teach him the difference between the holy and the profane. And it's going to matter real seriously in just a couple chapters when they take God for granted right away when they take Jericho and they forget that there's a difference between the devoted things and the holy things and the profane things. And think, you know, I can't help thinking about what's happening in our nation and across the world. Things that should be holy, things that should be sacred, are mocked and ridiculed and belittled and treated with just such sacrilege and disgrace. And so I'm reminded. Before you cross the Jordan, before you, God comes to do among you mighty things. It says in Numbers 11, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. And this is when the people in Numbers 11, they were grumbling and God was going to bring them meat. 
Because they've been grumbling and grumbling. And now God's going to give them meat. But He said, consecrate yourselves. Because tomorrow, meat will come. And so we need to take that seriously. A couple verses in the New Testament about this idea of consecrating ourselves. The New Testament tells us, first it goes through Romans chapter 1 all the way to Romans 12, telling us all that God has done for us. And then it comes and it says in Romans chapter 12, Verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in view of all that God has done, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's in a sense consecration. That's in a sense devotion. That you would offer your hands, you offer your feet, you offer your eyes, you offer your heart. To offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And in the book of Peter, later on in in the New Testament, it says this. I'll just read one, two verses out of 1 Peter. Chapter 1, verse 14. Therefore, prepare your minds for action and be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. The idea is consecrate. So before they're going into the land, things are going to be different now. You're going into this land. You need to leave, leave the idols behind. So the idea of purification, they would wash themselves. They would change their clothes. But we know very well that if it's just an outward act that doesn't touch the heart, that doesn't change the life and the attitude, then you can go through any kind of ceremony you want to go through. But if it's just superficial and external, and it doesn't change the heart, it doesn't change the the reverence and the attitude, that's not consecration. That would be a ceremony that has little or no effect on a person's life. We go on. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass ahead of the people. So they took it up and they went ahead of them. And and the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Now this transfer of Leaders. We know that Moses was instructed by God to that he was going to die, that he had a chance he wouldn't go into the promised land, but he would see the land from a distance. And he'd been their reverend leader. They revered him. They respected him. They regarded him. And now this transition to Joshua's leadership. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan waters go and stand in the river Joshua said to the Israelites come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God this is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites Hittites Hivites Perizzites Girgashites Amorites and Jebusites the the people that are in the land and we already know that those people are being taken out of the land because of their wickedness. And they've had hundreds of years, if they had chosen, to repent. 
But God's bringing them out because their wickedness has come to a full. See, the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord of all the earth, will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. As soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing down from the stream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So, apparently the waters are still flowing when the priests step into them. And when they step into them, the water is stopped and piled up in a heap. But I want you to notice in, in verse 9, in verse 10, in verse 11, and in verse 13, Joshua is telling them, here's who's going before us. The Lord your God. The living God. The living God who is among you. These other nations, they have gods but they're gods of wood and gods of stone. You're not living gods who have eyes who see, ears who hear, hands who work. The living God who's among you. Verse 11, the Lord of all the earth. The Lord of all the earth. The same Lord of all the earth who Rahab said, listen, we've heard and our hearts are melting like wax because we know that the Lord the Creator goes before you. He has given this land into your hands. And then again in verse 13, the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. Verse 14, so when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. Now I've been doing some research and depending on where you look, there's all kinds of different information but one of the archaeological places I went to go when they unearthed Jericho and when they were doing some research, they went in there and lo and behold, you know what they found in the pots, the clay pots? It was harvest time. They were full of grain. And I was just, my, the hair on the back of my neck was rising, raising up because I'm going, wait a minute. It says that it's the harvest season. And these people were wiped out, so all the grain that they'd harvest to eat is still there. Little tiny things that you, we might not notice. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away. While the water was flowing down to the Sea of the Rabbah, it was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Several times repeated, on dry ground. I don't know how many of you have seen where the sediment in the river runs to the deepest part of the river and it's probably mucky there. Even though it's fast flowing down in the bottom of the river, there's some muck. It says they crossed on dry ground. Not only is the water heaped up, but the water under their feet must have evaporated too. And I'm sure... Rushing water in streams, the ground can be very hard, 
but where the in the deep in the center would have possibly been muck. But either way, they walked on dry ground. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men, twelve men, one from each of the tribes, to represent the whole community. Have them take a stone out of the middle of the river from where the priests are standing and take it with you to the place where you camp. So Joshua called together the twelve men, verse 4. He had appointed from, from the Israelites, one from each of the tribe, go over before the ark, go over before the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the river of Jordan. Each of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. And in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed, when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. The stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So you can set up memorial stones in your life. I can set up in my life. We can set up as a community. And the idea is not to worship the stones, but so that we do not forget high points in our life. We, have, we celebrate birthdays. We celebrate graduations. We celebrate anniversaries in the same sort of way so that we do not forget if you were to go back and read through Deuteronomy, it will tell you again and again and again, do not forget. Do not forget. Do not forget. And he even tells them, when you enter into the land and your children ask you about this, same thing as it says here, tell them. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says, don't forget to tell your children these things. Write them on the doorposts of your house. Tie them on your hands and on your foreheads. When you go in the country, when you go in the city, tell them, tell them, tell them what the Lord your God has done so that they do not forget. Verse 8, So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan according to the number of tribes of Israelites as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over to their camp where they put them down. Joshua set up twelve stones there. And they are there to this day. Now, verse 10, the priests who carried the ark remained standing in the middle of the river until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over. As soon as all of them crossed the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, armed in front of the Israelites, as Moses had directed them. About 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. That day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they revered him all the days of his life, just as they had revered Moses. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests carrying the Ark of the Testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So there's some overlap as they're telling the story. But basically you get the idea. The priests are going to step into the river. The river's going to heap up, stop flowing. They're going to stand in the middle of the river while all the Israelites cross over. Twelve men are going to grab a stone. And if, they're, if they 
I was just thinking, you know, I, mean, I don't think they reached over and grabbed a little pebble. And the, the reason, that, because when it says pick it up and carry it on your shoulder, they had a ways to go, at least to where they're going to camp at Gilgal, because it says they camped at Gilgal. And I imagine they asked some, he asked some representatives who could carry stones. It's the significance of it. You know, when you're, when you're assigning a little chore for your kids and they're learning to do a job, you have the privilege to make it significant, to entrust into to their lives, entrust in them reverence, respect, regard, honor, integrity, dignity. Give them a task. And then watch them rise up to the occasion. So the priests leave, carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Verse 17, So Joshua commanded the priests, come up out of the Jordan. And even when you think about the Rift Valley, they're coming up, and they're going to be moving up. And they go into the Promised Land, they're always moving up. As the priests came up out of the river, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, no sooner had their feet set on dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. You know, I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord today, right now, but I remember as a young man, something significant was taking place in my life as I was learning about the Scriptures. And I had, I'm not going to go into right now, not that I'm afraid to share any with anybody anything of my past, but the significant thing was that I was learning about the Scriptures and I was reading through Exodus and they crossed the Red Sea and the Red Sea closed behind them. They crossed the Jordan and it closes behind them. And I said, Lord God, please help me not retreat. Help me to leave the past in the past and help me to move forward. And there's things that cling to us. The residue of sin, broken relationships, things that we want to leave there. And God gives us opportunities throughout our life to not turn back. And He tells us, once you put your hand to the plow, don't turn back. Keep pressing on. You will be tested. You will be tried. You will head through circumstances. You will go uphill. You will go downhill. But just simple prayer, Lord, let there be no retreat in my life. If I turn back, let me see that that way isn't the way I should go. I should go forward. And the Jordan ran at flood stage as it had before. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal, east of the border of Jericho. Now the tenth day of the month is the first day that they did the, held the Passover. Back in Exodus chapter 12, it's a significant day. Tenth day of the first month is when they held their first Passover. You can read about it in Exodus 13. Gilgal is a place where Samuel would anoint Sam, um, Samuel would anoint Saul as king in their future. It's a significant place. Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, "In the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? 
Tell them. Tell them. Tell them. Tell them. Tell them. Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. You're telling about about God, about God's advance in your life. God will take a test and turn it into a testimony. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what He had done to the Red Sea. He did this so that... Two times in these last two verses, he uses this little phrase, so that. He did this so that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. Think about that. Think about if all the people on the earth knew that the hand of the Lord was powerful. And so that you might always fear the Lord your God. So that you may always fear disobeying Him. You may always fear what's not in your best interest because God didn't lead you there. That you may remember that the hand of the Lord is powerful. And look at that. We crossed the Jordan. And we made it. But we have these lessons and I I can't help saying enough, if you have some extra time in your reading, peruse through the first 12 chapters of Deuteronomy. It, it is so intimately connected with the people on the journey because that was the message that Moses gave to the people just before they enter into the land. And we're going to see the complications that come and the privileges that are missed the opportunities that are missed because they don't take God's Word seriously. And let's not be like that. Let's take God's Word seriously. If you're not ready, you'll miss out on the blessing that God wants to bring into your life. The blessing of tomorrow. The blessing of next week. The blessing of next month. So prepare yourself for what God wants to do. Father, we're thankful and we're grateful for all you're doing in our lives. Things that we know and things that we don't know. Things that we can recognize and things that we can't recognize. But God, open our eyes. Help us to see what you're doing in our midst. Help us to see your good hand guiding us. Your good hand bringing opportunities into our life to acknowledge you, to praise you, so that it may go well with us and that we may live in the land. And that land is wherever we set our foot. You already told them, wherever you set your foot, that will be yours. Help us, God, to walk in ways that bring you honor, that we would revere you, that we would fear you in a healthy way, that we would not be presumptuous, that we would not take you or anyone or anything for granted, but that we, we move forward as we learn from history, God, and as we see you at work today in our lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen.